So this morning I want to speak about um, being made in God's image. Um, and I want to unpack what that means and what relevance that has for us. And um, it's kind of a, in some ways it's kind of a basic topic, but I find it's not as basic as it used to be. And uh, I remember last week I was sharing, I think it was last week, last week I was sharing about how Jesus, when he comes back, he's going to... Uh, destroy this earth, it's going to burn it with fire, and it's going to recreate the planet, and repopulate the planet. And as I said these things, I still have shocked faces in the congregation, especially on this side. Not to judge people sit on this side. I saw some genuinely shocked faces. And I realized, you know, sometimes things which are, you know, the political doctrine, it's age old, it's very well known, some of these things are worth going over again, because they're actually incredibly rich in meaning, and they really do shape the way we think about our lives and of life on this planet. And I, and I believe this topic is one of those topics that when we understand what it means to be made in the image of God, it really does shape the way we think about ourselves in profound ways and what God has called us to be and to do on, on, this, on this planet. One of the things that I really believe that undermines this truth about being made in God's image is the culture around us, the pervading culture, subscribes to the notion that we've evolved into being humans through naturalistic processes, and God wasn't involved in that process. And that essentially means that we are a kind of sophisticated animal, a really highly evolved animal. But that actually undermines some very profound biblical truths about who we are, and how God made us, and what He made us for. Uh, so we believe that God made us uh, by His sovereign power, and that He made us in His image. Now obviously, that's only helpful if you know what that actually means. So that's why I want to unpack it. But I want to just put up an image here, and maybe you can put up the first one. Something that really grieves my heart, and it probably does the same to you, and I want to explain why I think it grieves our heart. When you see a person, maybe they're addicted to drugs and they're living on the street and maybe they're eating from the bins. And there's something that really grieves my heart about that. And I think what it is that grieves my heart is there's this profound sense of is this is not what God made this person for. Amen? It's like, no, that's, there's a difference between humans and animals. That is not what God designed this precious man for. When he made him, this is not what he had in mind. This man was made in the image of God. And that means that God has put his spirit in this man and every person's man. And this man and you and I were made for relationship with God himself, the creator of the world. And that gives us a certain dignity and a certain respect just by virtue of the fact of who God made us to be. And so it's profoundly disturbing when people do not live according to what God made them for, which is why it's important to know what He made us for and how He made us and what it means to be made in His, in His image. So maybe let's start to answer the question. Maybe you can switch to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. This is obviously the creation story. It gives us the first, I think one of the first references of the phrase made in his image in Genesis chapter 1, 26. And it says, 
Then God, uh, then God said, Let us make man in our image. You got it? I'll read it so long. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and over the heavens and, uh, and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then it goes on to say again a second time, So God created man in his own image. He created male and female, he created them. So it actually mentions it twice. That's the significance of when God made us. He mentions it twice that he, he made us in his image. So obviously that's a significant thing about what, how he made us. Right? And then it goes on to explain a little bit more what that actually means. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And so partly what this phrase means is in the same way that God is the ruler of earth, humans have been made in his image and we carry a rulership kind of responsibility over his creation. That's how you see this verse explaining that phrase. Partly what it means is that um, in, we steward the things that, that God has made in creation. We are the top of the food chain. And the reason why we are at the top of the food chain is not because we're more aggressive than the rest of the animals. It's because of the kind of, in His image. We're made in His image. We are made to represent God. We are made to do the kinds of things that God does with regards to creation. But it definitely, that's just the beginning of the, defini- defi- uh, of the definition of what it means to be in the image of God. It also means that God has made humans unique in the ability that we have to be in relationship with God Himself. Soon as God has created humans, you see God beginning to interact with humans, speak with them, have conversations, give commands, tell them what He wants from them, expectations that He has for them. You don't see Him doing that with any of the other animals. And that is because humans have a unique ability to have relationship with one another and relationship with God. And part of the reason for that is because God has made us unique. He's given us a unique capacity to have relationship with Him. Which is why when we worship Him in the morning, when you worship Him, you begin to have communion with God. There's a divine exchange, there's an intimacy we can have with God that is unique to being made in in His image. It's the reason why we have that capacity to have relationship with God. God also made us, if you put up the next image here, it's got to do with like the nature of family. Um, God made us to represent His nature. So not only, you know, when, when we talk about being made in God's likeness, a lot of people ask, okay, well, does that mean that we look like Him? Maybe He has arms and legs and a head uh, but I, to be honest, I don't know what God looks like. I don't even know if God looks like anything because He's spirit. So I don't think that's what the reference is to being made in His likeness. But it does mean we are called to reflect His nature. And what's interesting about family resemblance is that you know when kids grow up, they often grow up to look like their dad, like their mom. And that's one aspect of it. But isn't it also true that we, we often, for good and for bad, Grow up to 
imitate their nature, some of their characteristics. And Zani pointed one of those out to me yesterday. I'm not sure how I felt about it, but there it is. You know, there's certain characteristic traits, personality traits that you begin, sometimes even the way we speak. Um, for good and for, for bad, sometimes we have to unlearn some of the character traits we've learned from our parents. Sometimes they're good things. But God intended, He calls us His, He calls us Him, his, our Father. That's what we pray, our Father who is in Him, He calls us His children. And one of the God intentions that God had had in making us in His image is that we would grow up to reflect His nature, to represent Him, to reflect Him. So that the, the, the word image is a helpful one because in some ways it's a reflection of Him. Like looking in a mirror, we are His reflection, we are His image. We, we represent something of who He is and what He's like. Well, that's how, that's how it was supposed to be anyway. That's, that's the next part of the story. That, that is what it was supposed to be like. But, as you read the scriptures, but even if you don't read the scriptures, when you look around at humanity today, you will find very often we don't reflect Him. We don't represent Him. We don't re- re- represent His nature. Uh, and that is uh, because we have become a cracked image. Uh, we have become a, a poor reflection because of something that broke. And so when we read scripture, we find that uh, because of the fall in the Garden of Eden, because of rebellion, man's rebellion against God introduced sin into the world. And when sin comes in, it corrupts. It corrupts the nature of God in us so that we are now a cracked mirror. It doesn't mean to say that we don't reflect it at all. We do, even in our fallen state, reflect some aspects of God's nature. But we're a cracked mirror. We're a cracked image. We're a shattered image. And I love this, this picture because you can kind of see it's the girl. But it's, a, it's not the girl. Right? And that, when God looks at us, when people look at us, you can kind of see God's reflection. But you can see it's not the way that it should be. We're a cracked image. So the Bible says that sin separates us from God. It alienates us from God. And when we become separated from God, we no longer reflect Him the way that we are supposed to. And what's very profound about this is that salvation is actually God renewing us and making us back into the image which He intended us to have. Which is probably one of the most beautiful things about the Gospel. God is renewing his purpose in us. He's renewing us into His nature, into His likeness, into His character, so that when people see us, they see a beautiful reflection of the nature and the character of God. And that's what it means to be a light in the world. It means to reflect His nature and its character. So salvation is redemptive in that aspect. But sin, uh, it affected every aspect of who we are. I'll mention three. It affected our minds. Our minds are reflecting the nature of God as part of what it means to be made by God's image. That we have the capacity to think and to reason. Our, our, our minds were affected. It says in Romans 1, verse 21 and 22, Although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and darkened in their foolish hearts. So those are two results of, of sin. Our minds were affected. That says our, mind, our thinking became futile. 
and our hearts were affected. They became darkened. In other words, the desires of our hearts were perverted. They were corrupted. So that we now desire sinful, horrible, selfish things, whereas God himself desires what is good and what is holy and what is pure. What it means when it says that our thinking was corrupted doesn't mean that we became stupid. It means that we lost our ability to know meaning. If you want to get a more in-depth explanation of that, just go and study in Humanities at UCT, mm-hmm. where you'll discover postmodernism. Postmodernism is the, the, the prevailing worldview at the moment, which essentially means there is no meaning to anything. All we have is information. Objective meaning doesn't exist. So if you ever needed some sufficient evidence for this verse, when our thinking has become futile, it means we're still very knowledgeable, but we don't know how to make sense of all the facts. And so when we lose God, we lose meaning. We lose the answers to the most important questions in life. And so without Jesus, we our thinking becomes futile. But even our bodies, the Bible says, were corrupted by the fall. And if you study genetics, you'll know this, because even in our genes, they've been corrupted. And this is what causes genetic diseases, this is what causes people to be born with deformities. It's all a result of the fall, the corruption of humanity. And the good news is that God is restoring us. One of the things that I feel very passionate about for our generation is to restore the truth that God made us in His image, which means that we are spiritual beings. You can put up that other image. You know, when you, when you study at school and you're educated about taking care of yourself, you know, we get so well informed about how to care for this aspect of our health or how to eat well or how to, you know, our medicine and all of these things are so sophisticated. But what's missing from the diagram is the most important aspect of who we are, which is our soul. Our soul. The Bible says that man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. Which means we are spiritual beings and we need fellowship with God. Without fellowship with God, our relationship with Him, we literally die. We die spiritually. And uh, that is what the Bible means when it says that um, the world who are separated from God by their sins are dead. They are dead in their sins. That's what it's referring to. It's referring to a spiritual deadness. It's referring to separation from God. And it's the most important aspect of who we are, what it means to be made in God's image, is we have capacity to have relationship with Him. And so my question for reflection for us is, what do you consider most important with regards to your health? Because there's our material needs, and then there's our spiritual needs. Sometimes we preoccupy ourselves with our material physical needs, and we neglect our most important need, which is, which is fellowship with Jesus. And I want to just take a moment to pause here. Sometimes at this time of the year, we have potentially neglected our relationship with Jesus and fed our bodies very well, not necessarily very healthy, but well. Quantity necessary, not necessarily quality of food. But we need spiritual sustenance. 
And we get that from spending time with Jesus and, and, and filling ourselves with His Word. Something else that I felt, and this is one of the main reasons why I felt the Lord wanted me to share this with you this morning, has got to do with, we have two natures. As humans, we have two natures. We have one, which is kind of a carnal nature, which we share with the rest of the animals. We have certain desire, primal urges to eat, for example. But then we have other desires which God gives us. Maybe you can put up that image of, of, the, of the lion. So some of the urges we share with, with, with wild animals to eat, to reproduce, and kill or be killed. Right? Uh, the, 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 the strongest of the fittest survive. How does it say that? Survival of the fittest. Survival of the fittest. Yeah. Eat or be eaten. And we all have primal desires. It doesn't make you special. It just makes you one of the animal kingdom. Right? Um, but the Bible says in 1 Peter, maybe you can put that one up, 1 Peter 4, it says, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires. He's talking about Christians now. But rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. The world is surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. They heap abuse on you. And what's interesting about this list of sinful living is it's people indulging the desires, the carnal desires of the flesh, which are very similar to the kind of desires that the rest of the animals have. Do you see that? They're just following their carnal desires, the same things that dogs have. So, yes, it's sinful, but more than that, it's not what God intended for you when He made you. He's made you to be a spiritual being and a natural being. We have two natures. As humans, the reason why I mention that is because because we are immersed immersed in culture, and the culture believes that we're animals. There's this subtle undermining of what it actually means to live a life that's following the Holy Spirit and is self-controlled. There's almost the sense of you can't control your desires; they primal. So, for example, I'll give you a couple of practical examples. Um, I fell in love. Now, the thing about falling in love, or falling generally, is it's something you didn't intend to do, right? <laughs> something that accidentally happened. Well, what can you do now? You fell. Right? And so, it's, it, it, and there's many other examples like that, where it almost suggests that these, these urges that we have, and you're just a passenger on your own train, you're just here for the ride. And if your, your urges lead you this way or your desires lead you that way, well, what can you do? You know, the heart wants what the heart wants. That's another expression, isn't it? But actually, that is a, a failure to understand how God has made us. He has not made us to be like the rest of the animals that just inevitably follow their urges because what can you do? It's a survival instinct, right? It's actually, you know, part of what it means to be made in God's image is that He's given us a soul, he's given us a mind, a will, and emotions. He's given us an ability to, to discern his 
these spirits. And so partly, I've got a little diagram here, which you may have, uh, not the next one. Here's a quote for the designers amongst us. I actually designed this one myself. <laughs> quite an important truth for our generation. I'm not sure which order the train characters would go in if you were an unbeliever, but definitely not in this order. And this is how God's called us to live. We've got the Holy Spirit as the engine who's driving the train. We are led by the Spirit. He shows us what's holy. He shows us what's pure. He shows us His will for our lives. Right? And we choose. And we can choose. Because we're made in God's image. He's given us an ability to choose our own destiny. We choose to follow His Spirit. And our emotions choose, or they don't choose, we make them choose. We can make our emotions to choose what we've chosen to do, to follow the Holy Spirit. Our emotions come in line with our will. And thereafter, our actions follow our will and our emotions. That is what it means to be self-controlled and to be led by the Holy Spirit. It is actually a lie that we have urges and desires within us that are more powerful than us. And that we are on, the, we are on a journey but, journey, but we are a passenger on the train. Actually, the Lord has made you in charge of you. Does that make sense? And so, uh, it's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. And it's also what God is restoring in us. Because that's why it says that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us to self-control and an ability to, to live a godly and a holy life. I, I, I found it, I found it and I'm just pointing this out to you, it's disturbing to me and I think it's also disturbing to you, but our culture, as, as we go along and as we grow more and more separated from God, our culture is becoming more and more like animals. And this, I think it's true to say that the more you think of yourself as a sophisticated animal, the more you act like one. True? Well, why wouldn't you? Because after all, I'm just an animal. And I, I, was, I was doing an interesting Google study about the Renaissance. In the Renaissance, the Renaissance followed after a revival within the church, which was following on from the Reformation, which was a rediscovery of the nature of God... And our relationship with Him, there was a revival within the church and then there was a renaissance or revival in culture. And it was one of the high points in Western civilization. And if you study the renaissance, the, the, the art, and the writing, and the literature, I mean, some of those things we still study today, hundreds of years later, it's like the model of many of our cultural like goals. You know, you look at some of the architecture of some of these buildings and you walk around this and you think, how is it even possible? And someone designed, they never had actually made such a thing. Now we're just struggling to get our you know, municipal buildings like with the water running in the middle. You know, and yeah, you've got this grand cathedral. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and, and on the right hand side, we have modern depictions of culture and art. Unfortunately, I had to censor it out because it wasn't appropriate for general viewing. And that's a fact. While I was Googling Renaissance, apparently Beyonce has got this Renaissance tour going on. Good grief. That's the image from her Renaissance tour. Tell you what, I suffered in the preparation for this, uh, for this sermon as well. 
Hopefully you guys to suffer that way. My point is simply that in losing connection with God, we actually lose something of, of who God has made us to be. And we revert to a kind of base, carnal, uh, crass, animal-like nature. And that is, that is tragic. The good news and the hope of it all is that God is renewing us. He's restoring us. He is imparting His nature, His purity, His holiness, His righteousness, His love, His compassion, His patience, His kindness, all those beautiful things that define the nature of God. He is renewing and restoring those things into us. Isn't that beautiful? It's really the heart and the goal and the hope of, of the Gospel. And so I'll end with this. And, and for those of you who have been following some of the events in my personal life, I'll have to share for context, because otherwise this analogy won't be quite as meaningful for you as, as it should be. Marina recently had to do a project for school in which she had a, cat, a caterpillar that was found in a confinement and supplied with leaves. And the purpose of the activity was to see the full transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly, to see the life cycle of a caterpillar. And so her and her friend Joyce both had caterpillars, and it was Margaret and Mary, if I'm not mistaken, names. Our Margaret was later renamed Houdini, because she escaped from captivity several times. Sad to say, Margaret didn't make the full cycle as I threw her in the bin. <laughs> we subsequently learned Margaret may have been preparing for metamorphosis and going to that catatonic state where they are actually in hibernation and cocoon. We will never now know. Uh, but it's not the end of the world. The reason why I mentioned this analogy of caterpillars is because the word metamorphosis is actually about a word. To be transformed into his image. To be conformed into his image. Are both Bible words. Jesus is intending us to be transformed into his image. And so I want to just, in closing, add a few, just two or three practical points. We can go to the caterpillar. Caterpillar, the caterpillar in its stage of life, all it does is eat. And I can testify to that fact. All they do is eat, sleep, and eat. And they grow. And in order to be transformed into the image of Christ, we need to fill ourselves with the Word of God. We need to, the Bible says, to, to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. I love that expression because it means to meditate on. It means to nourish yourself. It means to fill yourself with the Word of God. And as you do that, it transforms you. It also speaks about teaching one another the Word of God. And the Word of God is like a seed which, when planted, it grows. It transforms you. It's got a power, an intrinsic power, to transform us into the Word of God as we dwell on it, as we meditate on it, as we unpack the Word of God. Secondly, we can go to the, the next stage of the caterpillar. It, the caterpillar... It goes into a cocoon. And it actually, it, I'm not sure how to describe this process, but it actually dissolves. The whole caterpillar dissolves. 
and, and leaves behind it, according to Google, a nutrient-rich environment, from which part the, constitu- the, 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 the butterfly is reconstituted from that nutrient-rich environment, and actually it forms into a whole different creature. And I'm not sure if this is coincidental, but maybe it's not. The Bible says that we die in order to live. And that's the verse day. We were therefore buried with Christ, with Jesus, in baptism, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We are transformed into His image as there's, there's a dying process. We die to an old pattern of life. And we are made new. And we are born again into a new way in which we live like Christ. The last thing, a part of this process, this is obviously a lot more you could say, but when the butterfly comes out of the food, it breaks out of it. And it's quite a painful struggle. Um, and uh, it says in Ephesians 4.22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your mind. So to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness. There is a new way in which we can live, and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a new nature that we've been given. And what it, what it behooves us to do is to choose to live according to the new nature which Christ has now birthed in us and to put off the old nature. And just like with the butterfly, that can be a bit of a process. And it can be a painful process. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you get discouraged, then why is it that I so often revert to my old patterns of life and I have to choose constantly and over and over again to put that behind me, to put it off, and to be made new, it's normal, and it's good, and it's a part of what the work that God is doing in you. And what's interesting is that this painful struggle that the butterfly goes through is actually formative in the development of its wings. In fact, if they don't struggle, they don't fly. And the Bible says that it's through suffering that we begin within us to produce Perseverance and perseverance produces character. And so the suffering, as painful as it is, it's actually formative. It's, it's one of the ways in which God makes us new. So don't be surprised that, that you're the only one that struggles with things. It's part of how God makes us new. The struggling is important, as painful as it, as it can be. And the good news is that at the end of it all, when God Himself returns, when Jesus returns, the Bible says... We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. God will complete the process. And you, can you believe, Hank will be perfect. <laughs> you will be perfect. I will be perfect. The process which God has you on, which, has, which He has me on, will be completed. And God will have fully restored us into the image of His Son. We will look like Him. We will act like Him. We will feel the way He does. We will desire the things He desires. And even the desire for sin will be removed. And this is partly how we understand 
The whole process of salvation is that God is renewing us, is restoring us into the image of His Son. And so I want to just encourage you this morning, don't allow the way that the world thinks to shape the way that you think. We are a new creation. We are being made new. We are not just another creature amongst all the other creatures. We've been made in the image of God, which means that there's a God-likeness about you, which God is restoring, so that you can have fellowship with Christ Himself, and that you can have fellowship with one another. It also means that your life is precious. One of the things of being made in the image of God means that your life is sacred. You know that in the Old Testament there was a penalty, a monetary fine, amount that you could pay if you accidentally killed your neighbor's cow. It was a fee that you could pay to reimburse him for the cow. But if you killed the person, there was no money that you could pay to reimburse the family for their loss. The only penalty that you could pay was to be put to death yourself. Because the value of even one human life is incalculable. No amount of money could pay for your life because your life is precious. It's precious because you've been made in the image of God. And so the way that we treat every single human being is with respect and honor. Even if we agree or disagree with their worldviews because they are made in the image of God. Every single person is made in the image of God and so they are precious to the Lord. Maybe we can close in some prayer.